Hi, and welcome to another episode of UH Studio Architecture and Design Podcast. So in this podcast, I want to discuss the reason why architects do not get paid as much as perhaps most architects think that they should be paid. And then I want to discuss what we as architects can do about that. So you might be familiar that architecture requires quite a bit of education in most parts of the world. So that varies anywhere between five to six to even seven years in some cases to get an architectural degree. In most places, a master's degree is required or a professional five-year degree, as in some places in the United States. And then there are some places like Italy and Spain where students could typically take seven, sometimes even nine years to complete their architectural studies. So clearly that is a lot of time to spend to become an architect. And within this, I also want to tell you my story of how I became an architect because it was a difficult path and not that many people actually made it. So I graduated in 2009 in the United States in Philadelphia. And at that point, the financial crisis of 2008 was hitting hard on. I graduated in a class of 36 people. When we started in our first year, there were over 100 people and slowly people started filtering out. So we actually had from those over, I forget what the actual number was, but let's say 120 or 140 people, 36 made it through the five-year program to become with a Bachelor of Architecture degree. Now, out of those 36 people, I believe initially in the year 2009 or maybe even 2010, maybe only five or six of us were able to find jobs within architecture and design industry because at that point, there really weren't that many jobs. Everybody was cutting down. Construction industry was the hardest hit initially from the 2008 financial crisis. It's a slightly different landscape now, but why is that important? Well, it is important because it takes quite a bit of effort to become an architect. No matter where, there is no easy way to do it. So architecture degrees are infamous for their long and grueling working hours, which involve a lot of all-nighters and fierce competition with your classmates to actually become architects and register or be part of the top studio teams. So that's one part of it, then, which is the education bit. Then over to the practice side of things, starting salaries for architects are quite low and they get better over time. So the average salary for an, a registered architect with five plus years experience in the UK is about 50 to 60,000 pounds. And that's really on the high end of the spectrum. The average salary in the US for a registered architect with five or six plus years experience is about $60,000. And again, that might be on the high end of the spectrum in some places and could be an average in places like New York or LA. So how does that compare to doctors and lawyers with five plus years of experience? So they're typically learning quite a bit more, especially doctors after they do their residency. So that's definitely after the five years of experience. Now granted, doctor's degrees, because they have to spend a bit more time in master's degrees as opposed to undergraduate degrees, it can cost a little bit more. 
But I really want to look at the reasons why architects are perhaps in the lower end of the spectrum of paid creative professionals with an extensive amount of education. So if we step back from architecture for a little bit and look at the grander scheme of things and what society values as important as deemable, it typically revolves around a couple of things. One is a big risk and the second is a good amount of capital. In other words, if you start a business that either has a lot of capital or there's a lot of risk involved, culture and society tend to value you more for that. Within architecture design projects and construction projects, the highest risk is not taken by architects, it's actually taken by the investors. And clearly they also reap the most amount of profits from the architecture and design industry. So I believe architects are some of the most innovative people around in the world and that has to stem with the fact that the architecture education is very creative in regards to outputting people that are not only prepared for architecture design but for many different types of creative industries. On top of that, the kinds of people that decide to pursue architecture within the education are also fairly creative. And they're very interested in pursuing both a professional and a creative career. So architecture always has this question about it. Is it more about the business side or is it more about the creative side or is it somewhere in the middle? As an experienced architect, I definitely think creativity is a strong part of being a successful architect. But again, back to the question of why architects are not paid as much as we might think we should be, it has to do with the value that society puts on the work that architects do day to day. So that revolves once again around risk. If you think about the average architect in a small to medium firm and the kinds of work that they engage with, there isn't a lot of risk involved and society doesn't value that. However, there are different kinds of fields, right? One is if you start your own company, then there's significantly more risk involved. First off, you might need to hire more architects to work with you. So that means that you need to have an average input of money that comes into your office so you can pay for your overhead costs, for your staff costs, for your office costs and so on. So that is significantly more risk than working for somebody else. And typically, architects that venture out on their own, start their own businesses, do tend to be a bit better off than architects that work for somebody else. Again, it has to do a lot with the capitalist system in which we work in and how it values risk. So beyond starting your own company, there are other ways within larger corporations that you can earn a bit more money as an architect. So you basically have to climb the corporate pyramid to get to that level. Now, if you have worked in a corporate firm, so that's any firm which has maybe more than 30, 40, 50, 100 people in the office, you know that there is a lot of politics involved. So at that point, it's not only about creativity because us as humans that like to work with other people, we tend to have natural preferences. And that's okay because that's within our nature. But what does that mean in terms of progressing your architectural career and getting paid more compared to what you believe you should be getting paid? So that means a couple of things. People that tend to speak out a little bit more in the office, that are more outgoing, that maybe don't do even as much creative work, but allow senior architects or directors or principals or associates to see what they're doing, 
notice their work. So those people tend to progress a little bit more within the architecture corporate ladder than people that are purely talented. So you can be the most talented person in the world in regards to architecture, but if you're working in a large firm, unfortunately, that is not the only aspect that helps you progress within your career. You have to definitely look at your social relations, your human relations, how you talk to people, how you expose what you're doing, and so on. And within the corporate ladder, we have definitely people to talk more about what they're doing, or perhaps they're good with talking with clients and making them comfortable and having boozy drinks with them and, and assuring them that the office can deliver the work. So those kinds of people are the ones that get promoted in corporate offices. So if you are thinking about how you can progress in a corporate ladder, you definitely have to think about your social skills, your people's skills, how you project influence beyond the fascinating creativity that I'm sure you might have as an architect and a designer. So beyond the corporate ladder and beyond typical risk-taking of starting your own firm, there are also other ways that architects can engage with various other creative industries and utilize their skills to add to their financial situation. Publishing books or making courses online with some of the skills that you might have gained is definitely another way to add to your income. So let's look at some of those situations. Now, I want to continue with my story here a little bit because I was in a situation where due to the pandemic, we decided to move away from London. So I had been living in London for a very long time, for nine years or so. And when the pandemic hit, we have two young children with my wife and our place became unbearably small. So my wife decided to move to Bulgaria, where we are originally from. And that was a risk that we took. Bulgaria is a cheaper country than the UK. And my office, KHOK, was gracious enough to allow me to work from Bulgaria for a few years. But after that, naturally, they said, you either have to be back in the office in London or we have to part ways. So I don't work for HOK anymore. I am very grateful for the flexibility they have offered me. And I decided to take a risk. Instead of trying to find another firm to work in, try to create various different ways to be creative and to support my family and the income that we're doing. So as somebody that has an established network, I do work on a freelance basis with various contacts from my network that I've created internationally. And that has been a great experience being exposed to different kinds of projects in different parts of the world. I also have my own private clients. So these are small scale residential additions, again, in various parts of the world, some in Bulgaria, some in the US and elsewhere. I'm also talking with partnerships with various colleagues from my network to, cre to create some kind of collective. And I also do courses. So. A lot of those things take time to build. And it is basically, even on a smaller scale, even if I don't have the risk of hiring other people to work for me at this stage because the work that I'm doing doesn't demand it, there is risk, right? So sometimes I might have freelance work, sometimes I may not have freelance work. The freelance work definitely pays a lot better than working in an office, but you have to seek it out. You have to be proactive to find it. And clients are the same way. Sometimes they pay more, but if you're working with private clients, they also require a different kind of expertise than you might be used to working in a professional environment in places like London, New York, LA, or any of the other capitals in the world. 
yes, to summarize it, the more risk we take, the higher the chances of making progress within your income. But of course, some people may have difficult situations that do not allow them to take higher risk. You might have a family that you need to support or even a, a wider family. Uh, you might work in a place where, you know, it's very expensive. With my average salary, which tended to be on the upper end of the spectrum when I was working in London, based on the experience that I've had, as a non-partner, I could not afford to buy a place in London. New York is similar. All the big markets where real estate has skyrocketed in the last 5, 10 years actually makes the job of architecture untenable unless you have either some, some family money or another kind of situation or side business. So besides venturing on your own as an architect and a creative design professional to pursue private projects or freelance projects, what else can architects do? So one of the best aspects is having more risk and that risk can determine the kinds of profits that you make. For example, you could partner with investors, whether it is with your own capital or money or your work as an architect within a development project. So instead of working on an hourly rate, Architects can partner with developers and ask for a percentage on return. That is fairly good for young investors or developer companies, which do not have a lot of capital on their own. And architects fees do tend to be a good chunk of money. However, nowhere near as much as the construction project. And the typical construction project for smaller developer companies means that those developer companies, they might acquire a site or might be in the process of acquiring a site, the architectural project happens concurrently. And then once the architectural project is complete, they need to go out and show other potential investors the project. So those investors can invest their own money to, for the construction costs to realize that project. So architects can jump within the investor relations with that. They can either become an investor themselves within the project that they're proposing as a percentage fee with money or with their work. I used to be familiar with the Philadelphia market because that's where I did my undergraduate studies and design built on small scale is a very common approach to building there. And that typically means that an architect partners with the contractor, they take on the risk together and they act as an entity together to realize projects and to build them. That kind of relationship works fairly well because the architects through their relationship with the developers don't need to develop their drawings to the same level that they would need to in a traditional contract. So that's definitely one way. And for the companies that I know in Philadelphia, it works fairly well. Again, they're both managing risk. So society really values risk and risk taking and risking it all in one way or another. There are other ways as well, newer ways, which the digital economy allows for architects to express their creativity, which is valued by society. A lot of that has to do with Web3. Essentially, in a gist, Web3 is a 3D version of Web2, which is what we have right now. So imagine a lot of the experiences that you have on your phone, online, are 3D experiences as opposed to 2D experiences. 
Now, as architects, we understand spatial qualities, we understand three dimensionals, we work in those spheres all the time in our day-to-day -day working conditions. So naturally, it's a great stepping stone for architects and designers to start working in the Web3. A lot of the Web3 has to do with the metaverse, which has mixed media reactions, but essentially through the natural progression of technology and the hardware capabilities that our phones and computers and mobile devices are capable of, there will be a lot more 3D experiences. So 3D experiences have to be designed. So that's a huge new opportunity for architects and architecture designers, and some are already jumping on board with very successful results. Part of that is the metaverse, but beyond doing things that are related to Meta and the Metaverse and the various different platforms that exist out there, there will be companies that will be hiring architects to help them design their 3D presence in the virtual world. So another area which I already covered and I'm doing partly that is education. And that education is something that architects again are capable of doing because of our spatial qualitative understanding of spaces of how they work. And typically, especially with younger generations, that involves working digitally. So, as we covered, brands might be looking for their presence in three-dimensional world. But beyond that, the educational market, if you are looking at some videos online on YouTube, which is becoming the entertainment hub, and also the educational hub in the world, a lot of explanatory educational videos are done with the help of creatives with an architectural background. Why? Because architects have the creative skills, they have some of the practical skills, and they have, in many cases, either the digital skills or the capabilities to acquire digital skills very easily. So call me biased, but architectural education creates some of the most well-rounded individuals in regards to pursuing various different fields out there. Some people may even have experience doing something that has nothing to do with architecture, but they understand the creative process behind architecture and working within a project. So thinking about an architectural program and brief and how they can approach that brief from the client's perspective of meeting all those client's requirements, which typically... And meeting all those clients' requirements, which typically revolve around different types of areas and making sure that that brief meets it. And architects always, or the good architects at least, have a social agenda on top of meeting that client's brief. So how can that project serve its users and sometimes the wider public in a better manner. So going beyond the brief. So this is what we have been trained for as architects. And that's a very unique and very important skill which translates throughout any industry because we can take any brief, any design exercise, any non-design exercise and think how we can add value to it. And that's what architects need to do more. And sometimes it is difficult to think about how we add value beyond a typical brief in a typical architecture setting because we're so damn busy as architects, right? So I'll give you an example. Working in my office or various offices in London, we always had crazy deadlines and we were barely capable within those deadlines to meet the required brief that the client has proposed to us, let alone add something on top of it. So there's ways to manage either one's own practice or one's own input within a larger architectural context in order to be able to add 
value beyond what's typically required in any architectural project. Now that value, if your company is smart, if the managers and directors in that company really care about giving more value to their clients, then they're going to step in and they're going to respect the additional value that's being shown on top of that. Of course, those directors also have their own challenges of making sure that the office is profitable at all times and there's a flow of incoming work. But typically, the more value that we give, the more we receive back. It's really important to understand what that value is, especially beyond the constraints of typical architectural practices. And a lot of that value has to do with risk that's being taken directly by the architects or risk that's being shared with between the architects and other parties like the developers, the, the investors, and so on. So this topic about architects and why potentially we're not getting paid enough is something that I'm strongly passionate about. So this is only the beginning of the discussion. I'll also discuss this with guests on the podcast, but I also want to hear from you. So are you an architect and what is your experience? Do you feel like you're getting paid what you should be getting paid or do you feel like you should be getting paid more? Let me know either in the comments on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube or on my website uhstudio.com and there's a contact page and you can submit your comments in there and I'll be happy to read through them and maybe talk a lot about what you have submitted. So this podcast episode is sponsored by my patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash uhstudio, there's a series of people there that are kindly giving their support for me to produce content that enriches the field of architecture design. If you'd like to be one of those patrons, visit patreon.com slash uhstudio to show your support. Thank you for listening to this podcast and see you next time. <laughs>